What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, relationship advice, evangelization, discipleship, catechesis, prayer, study, worship. The list goes on. I will then spend time with your questions. I will pray with them. And then I will try to respond in such a way that is helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. But my disclaimer is this. I'm not perfect. I've never been perfect. And therefore, the advice that I give to you that I share with you might not always be good for you. If that's the case, I want to give you the freedom to reject whatever it is that I say that does not help you to become a saint, that does not help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. However, if my advice is helpful, though difficult, then I really want to encourage you to lean into Jesus Christ in prayer and study and worship and fellowship so that Christ can give you the graces that you may need to fulfill the demands of discipleship. If you're a first time listener and you want to hit me up with your own questions, you can do that at www.ascensionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. Uh, you can also rate us and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats. This helps other people to find out about the show. If the show is a gift for you, potentially it could become a gift for them as well. And finally, if you share us on your social media pages, Instagram, your Facebook, your Twitter. I know there's a few new formats going out there right now. Parlor and Wheezy and Meezy and Seezy and Jeezy and I don't know, all these different names. Whatever your social media page is, uh, you could also share it there as well. And, uh, and finally, uh, you can stay in touch with me uh, through my books, Broken and Blessed, and Pocket Guided Adoration that can be found on the Essential Press website, as well as be on the lookout for a new book that will be coming out within a few months. And I'm almost at the place where I can tell you about that book. Super excited about it. But I, we ain't there yet, so you got to wait a little bit longer. But it's cool because we're in Advent right now. We are in the season of waiting. Um just wait no that's not how it goes it's just chill let me see oh is there any song i know about waiting um uh, oh i will wait i will wait for you boom 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 i will wait i will wait for you yeah so when we wait we anticipate the Lord's coming down. Um, okay, yeah, so anyways, we are in Advent season right now, and uh, today's podcast, I'm going to share with you a few topics. Uh, the questions that came in for today's show are about holy water, about fasting in Advent, and about speaking in tongues. Uh, I don't think I've ever fully address the question of speaking in tongues. So I'm about to give you a very thorough answer for that one for sure. Uh, but before we get into those questions, I want to share with you a glory story. So my glory story is this. God, y'all, God is just, he is so good to me. He has been convicting me 
through scripture a lot lately. I've been, um, gosh, yes, scripture has been so helpful uh, in this season of my life. And he's been convicting me during my time when I read his word uh, with a lot, you know, a lot. Every time I think I'm uh, maturing, which I know I am maturing my relationship with the Lord, I spend time with his word and his word just reveals reveals so much to me about myself that I did not know areas where he is inviting me to invite him to purify me and to transform me. It's like waking up in the morning, looking in the mirror and noticing all that stuff in your eyes. Um, that's what reading scripture is for me. I read the word of God and yeah, he certainly woos me and loves me, but his love is purifying and uh, it is restoring me in so many ways. And so uh, even like this morning, I was spending time with with the Lord. Uh, I'm doing the Rejoice Advent meditations with the Holy Family right now, which have been so beautiful. And uh, and today's meditation was about uh, it was First Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, uh, chapter thirteen verses. Yeah, chapter thirteen verses one through eleven. Love is patient. Love is kind. And I, I pray with that often. Most weddings we have those readings, but this today, this morning, the Lord really convicted me uh, about how impatient I have been interiorly right, uh, with another member of the body of Christ with whom I abide in communion with. A member of the body of Christ who I would say has disappointed me, um, uh, has been kind of reckless with their tongue and not had custody of the tongue and, and has said some things that are not good and uplifting uh, for the entire body of Christ. Uh, and so because of this this person's uh, sins, I have interiorly been very impatient uh, with them and not so kind to them in my thoughts about them. And when I was uh, praying with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7, I was drawn to Jesus, who was so patient with Dismas, the good thief on the cross, because Whenever Jesus was on the road to Calvary, whenever he was obviously carrying his cross, the other thieves were next to him. And at that time of carrying the cross, they were both mocking Jesus and they were both cursing Jesus. And Jesus was so patient with them. He didn't reject them or he didn't kick them out of being able to be in his presence. He didn't call forth the angels to get rid of them. He allowed them to continue to remain close to him. And he was so kind that he prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And when Dismas heard Jesus recite this prayer, he he changed his life and he repented of his sinfulness. And the Lord reminded me as I was praying with First Corinthians this morning that I am the body of Christ today, that Jesus Christ abides in me and that he wants my thoughts to be his thoughts. And just as he is patient with me and my sinfulness and in my brokenness, and he is so kind to me and generous to me and merciful to me. I ought to be that patient and kind to other members of the body of Christ with whom I abide in communion with, um, who, like me, are broken and fallen and imperfect and in need of mercy and forgiveness. And uh, yeah, it was just very beautiful. And then whenever I went to celebrate Mass, I celebrated a, a private Mass today. I saw the reading of the gospel today was the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. And again, it was so beautiful because... I've I'd recently have done a project with Andy Lesnevsky and Redeemed Online uh, for, for Advent. In addition to working with the Sitchin Press and releasing Rejoice, uh, I've released another program as well on YouTube called Redeemed Online, and it's called Advent Made Simple. And one of my recent reflections was on the body of Christ and how we all need each other and how 
if we reject any member of the body, we might be rejecting the member of the body who God is sending to us to give us the gift that we need for our for our good. And in my reflection on the loaves and the fish, I shared how there might have been people who did not like Peter or James or John, uh, but whenever Jesus did the miracle, it was the disciples who he gave the miracle to, to then share with the people. And if the people would have said, yo, I don't like Peter, so I'm rejecting this gift, then they would not have received the gift. And so the Lord was just re- reminding me, like, even though I... I can be disappointed in other members of the body of Christ at times um, that my disposition must always be to bless those who curse me and to pray for those who offend me and to make a gift of myself to, to those people in the body of Christ because I can love them the way that God loves me, which is he loves me, uh, <laughs> you know, like, right, uh, just unconditionally, you know, um, and he, he, he sacrificed his life for me while I was a sinner. And so how could I not do the same? So I'm just so grateful for God and for prayer and for scripture. So that's my my glory story is the word of God is so convicting and so good to to all of us. And so there there we have it. Uh, let's go ahead and get into today's show. Bringing some coffee right now. Oh, so good. So good. So good. So good. So good. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Amen. 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 That was an old youth group song from back in the day when I was young. I'm not a kid anymore. So first question comes in from Michael. Michael, great name, and it's about praying in tongues. Hey, Father Josh, I love your podcast. I have a question about praying in tongues. I live in a Catholic community that is quite on fire. Yo, church is on fire. Oh, yeah. Yo, church is on fire. With a small flare for the charismatic. Woo. Got it, flare. Woo. While I have come around to many practices, which some would consider charismatic, like laying of hands, prophecy, prayer for healing, when these things are done with humility and prudence, but praying in tongues still kind of freaks me out a little bit. While I acknowledge its biblical precedent, I oftentimes think that it's a crowd mentality as opposed to the Holy Spirit that is driving it. I also think that it seems very strange could be a barrier for people looking to enter the church. Is this an uncharitable position? Should I be praying in tongues? Does it happen when the Holy Spirit overfills you or does it happen when you decide or both? That is a really, really good question. And so I'm going to encourage us to turn to the Bible. Let's pull my little Bible out real quick right here. It's in my hands. Um, We're going to go through a few different passages in Scripture. And then we're also going to look at some of the writings of the saints who have preceded us in our walk uh, toward eternity. And so uh, first of all, I think what we have to identify what is the gift of tongues. It's, it's speech. It is speech that is inspired by the Holy Spirit um, in a language that the speaker does not understand. Um, it can be used both for public ministry, uh, like evangelization, catechesis, healing, and deliverance. Um, this is what is revealed in Acts chapter 2. Right? The apostles were able to speak in other language that were intelligible for their ministry 
of evangelization and of catechesis of sharing Jesus Christ with other brothers and sisters in their community. And so let's go ahead and look at that real quick. Acts chapter 2 says this, When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together. And suddenly there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind, and it filled the entire house in which they were. Then there appeared to them tongues as a fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven staying in Jerusalem. At this sound, they gathered in a large crowd, but they were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed. They asked, are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? Then how does each of us hear them in his own native language? Uh, these people that were listening to the apostles share Jesus were from Africa and they were from Asia and they were from Europe and they heard the apostles share Jesus Christ with them in a language that they could understand. So they all have the interpretation of the tongues that was spoken. Uh, and so another scripture passage um, says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 13, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. And in 14.27, if any speak in tongues, let someone interpret. So whenever somebody is manifesting the public ministry of tongues, there will be people present who can interpret those tongues. And typically the, those public ministries are for evangelization, catechesis, um, discipleship, uh, deliverance, and healing. But tongues can also be used for personal prayer to God um, so that we can praise God. Uh, also in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verse 2, we read St. Paul say this, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So it's possible to also speak in a tongue that will be unintelligible to you, and it's not for public ministry, so it's not for other people to be able to interpret like a tongue of evangelization, catechesis, discipleship, deliverance, and healing would be used for. So personal prayer time um, can be spent uh, by praying the rosary, our divine mercy chaplet, our adoring Jesus Christ in adoration, our singing praise and worship songs, our, our uh, leaning into Lexio Divina with sacred scripture, uh, reading devotionals, but it can also be spent by praising God through through tongues. And because when we do this, it can build the person up. It, tongues is one of the few gifts that also not only can build the community up, if it's a public ministry tongue, but if it's a private tongue for personal prayer, it can build up the individual. St. Paul tells this to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Uh, and so the tongue can be words that sound like gibberish. Uh, they could be groans in the spirit. This is how St. John Paul II often prayed in tongues. He would groan. Mm, right? I've often groaned in my chapel. That could be a tongue. St. Paul says this in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, um, that the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. So the Holy Spirit is praying in us and through us, uh, for us, in groans. The church fathers, who we all should turn to, whether you're Protestant or Catholic or Orthodox, 
we should all not be so prideful to try to say that we should be reading scripture apart from the um, insights of the church fathers, right? Um, we need to look to our church fathers who have preceded us, some of whom are doctors of our church um, and who speak about tongues and their writings. And also, um, especially for Catholics and Orthodox Christians, we need to be looking at the doctors of the church as well. For those of us who are Catholic, the doctors of the church also have spoken about tongues. And it's really important that we read their writings and not just listen to modern interpretations from, from people in our generation and what they think about tongues. It's important for us to look at the saints, the lives of the saints who were immersed in sacred scripture and who were immersed in the spiritual life. Uh, so the church fathers typically describe the tongues that were used in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter two, for evangelization. They describe that as tongues proper. Uh, they describe tongues that St. Paul writes about in Corinthians, uh, tongues that are unintelligible, um, tongues that sound like gibberish or groaning as jubilation. That's the word that a lot of the, the saints have used to describe the, and make the distinction between a public ministry of tongues and a personal prayer of, of tongues. Uh, St. Augustine, who is a doctor of the church, he lived in the 300s and the 400s as well. So he lived a long time ago, 1,600 years ago. He was a lot closer to the time of Jesus than you and I. Uh, he says that one who jubilates does not utter words, but certain sounds of joy without words. Rejoicing and exultation, one uses words that cannot be spoken and that cannot be understood. This is gibberish. This is the groans. This is jubilation. Um, he says that the one who who prays with jubilation expresses in his voice or her voice a happiness that is so intense that one cannot explain it. Uh, if you can't express your joy with words, St. Augustine encourages us to jubilate, to jubilate. Jubilation expresses our joy in words that we cannot speak. So be open to that, right? If, if there are not words that can describe my, my, my heart right now, then tongues is an option, right? Tongues is an option. Tongues of jubilation. Stop. Jubilate and listen. Tongues to speak in a brand new edition. Then you might be used to, but it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, so tongues is a way of praying that way, right? Um, we can also use tongues for uh, just good communication with our spouses or with our kids or with our superiors, right? I often, before I meet with people, I ask God to give me the gift of tongues to say only that which he wants me to say in English and that which he wants them to hear in English. And uh, But yeah, but also there are other church fathers out there that we need to be listening to, other saints in the early church, some who are doctors that we need to be paying mind to. What would they say about this? St. John Cashin, who was a monk in the 300s as well and 400s like uh, St. Augustine, um, he said that, that there were monks um, who lived in his lifetime, who abided in cells in his monastery, um, who were filled with so much delight of the Holy Spirit that they would often break out into shouts of joy that could be heard in the cells of their neighboring monks. So like they wouldn't just shout, but he says that they would also groan in place of words. Again, groaning in the spirit. This is what St. John Paul II did often. He would groan. That is a form of prayer. I don't know what words to say. So sometimes I'll turn to scripture and I'll just recite the Psalms and I'll read the Psalms because the Psalms are the word of God. They're the, the prayers of Christ. But other times we can just groan in the spirit. 
But there are more saints who've talked about this, including the great doctor of the church, St. Thomas Aquinas. He also speaks about jubilation. He says in his writings that when our mind is is kindled by devotion as we pray, we break out spontaneously into weeping and sighing and cries of jubilation and other such noises. Tongues is not something new. A lot of people think that the charismatic renewal is something that happened um, recently because of, I think it was Sister Elena, who might be a blessed Elena, had prayed for it, and um, and and she asked for a new Pentecost to take place, and and uh, but like, and yeah, there there has been a renewal, a charismatic renewal, but that's not something that's like new as far as like it was in the early church that spoke in tongues, and then we didn't do it again until the 1900s. Like, no, like these are saints that are talking about this happening in their lifetime, the 300s and 400s and and 1200s and 1500s. Like St. Teresa of Avila in the 16th century, she said that our Lord will sometimes give the soul feelings of jubilation and a strange prayer it doesn't understand. It seems like gibberish. And certainly the experience is like that. And she also writes that there was a friar uh, named Peter of Alcantara, I think that's who says his name, who he prayed in jubilation daily and people thought he was crazy. How many of us have been to a charismatic prayer meeting and people sound like they are out of their mind? That's what people thought the apostles were out of their mind whenever they were praying in tongues. In Acts chapter 2, people said, are they drunk? Are they are they intoxicated right now? So the gift of tongues is, is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, it is not an is not an obligatory gift. One does not need to be able to speak in tongues to be considered a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be considered a Christian. You need to be baptized to be considered a Christian, right? Uh, but you don't have to speak in tongues. The person who who speaks in, in tongues is someone who is certainly, um, in most cases, what they're speaking in tongues, whether they're public ministry tongues or jubilation tongues, they are definitely being inspired by the Holy Spirit. Can someone fake tongues? Yeah, right? Can the devil inspire demonic tongues? Yes. So there are other like you can you can fake it, you can be misguided by the the evil spirit, but tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit that is spoken about in scripture quite often. It is written about by the doctors of our church and by some of the greatest saints in our church's history. So should you be praying in tongues? Not necessarily. I mean, right, uh if God wants you to, you should be open to it, but tongues is not a necessary gift. Um, it's not even the greatest of gifts, right? Prophecy is greater than tongues and love is greater than prophecy. And so the gift that we should all cry out for is love. I think we should be open to tongues if it is good for our sanctification and or for the people who we are abiding in relationship with in our community, in our geographical boundaries, certainly be open to it. Um, but we don't have to pray in tongues to to abide as a disciple of Jesus Christ in relationship with the Holy Trinity. Um, is your position uncharitable to think that tongues could be off-putting for some people? I, I wouldn't say it's uncharitable. I just, I think that it it could be off-putting to some people, but that doesn't mean that the community shouldn't do it, right? Um, sometimes people need to be taken out of their comfort zone in order to grow in any relationship, whether it's with people or with, with God. And yeah, I think if some... Could it be a barrier? Yeah, it could be. Should it be a barrier? No. Um, but we need to know our audience. And so if your audience isn't ready for that, then do it in a place in a space where they're not going to be imposed upon by a community who wants to pray in tongues, right? That's why you have like 
groups of disciples who gather for contemplative prayer, our groups of disciples who gather for social justice meetings, our groups of disciples who gather for intercessory prayer, our groups of disciples who gather for works of charity, our groups of disciples who gather for intellectual study, right? You you don't want to push any group or anything on anybody and say, well, because I do it, you should do this as well, or you should listen to me do it. Like, no, like we only want to invite and propose that people come, um, but we never want to impose or force people to 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 pray anyway right whether it's in silence or with praise music or with chant or with whatever it's like you 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 just want to invite and then different members of the body of christ are going to be drawn to different things and so some people aren't drawn to that then then invite them to something else but you won't know until you try Uh, and so i would encourage you uh, be open to it and just you can start speaking in gibberish ask the holy spirit to cover you with the precious blood of jesus christ and if the Spirit of God takes over, cool. If if you don't perceive the Spirit of God taking over, that's cool as well. It, it's not something that is necessary um, for you to do. But I do think it is a gift that uh, we should always be open to. Speaking of things that uh, are gifts, let's go on to our next question about holy water. Next question comes in from Mark. Marky Mark asks about holy water. Mark says this, hey, Father Josh, what is the purpose of holy water? Why do we use it in baptisms, but also by making the sign of the cross? Why not just use normal water? How is holy water made? Holy water has always just been there when we entered the church, and I've never given it much thought until we didn't have it anymore due to COVID. Uh, Mark, yeah, Mark, that's actually a great question. It, it, isn't it amazing how there's some things that we don't recognize until we don't have it anymore? Uh, even with relationships, like sometimes we, you don't know what you have until it's gone. Uh, and so uh, the holy water is... It's a sacramental, right? Um, and uh, sacramentals um, are those sacred signs which bear resemblance to the sacraments. Um, they signify effects, particularly of a spiritual nature, which are obtained through the intercession of the church, catechism of the Catholic Church, 1667. So number one, why do we have holy water at the entrance of our churches? Um, because whenever we enter into a church, we sign ourselves with the cross, the holy water does a few things. Number one, it reminds us of our baptism. It reminds us that we are members of the body of Christ, that we've been set apart for worship of God, that we've been marked with Jesus's cross, right? The tile symbol in the Old Testament was something that let people know that they were protected and they were set apart. And so we've been protected by the blood of Christ. We've been set apart for a relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so whenever we enter into a church, we are reminded of our baptism, but also we are preparing ourselves to enter into the holy sacrifice of the mass. And in the Old Testament, before a priest would offer sacrifice, um, a priest had to cleanse his hands. And because every baptized person is baptized priest, prophet, and king, you dip your hands in the holy water to make the sign of the cross, to not only remember your baptism and that you've been set apart, but also to cleanse yourself because you must come with something to offer for worship. At the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, when the gifts are brought forward, when the priest offers up the bread and the wine, uh, you're also supposed to, at that time in the liturgy, be offering up whatever's on your heart, your work, your rest, your pray, your, your play, your um, your whatever it is that's on your heart. You, you give it to your guardian angel, and your guardian angel brings it to the altar so that just as the bread and the water and the wine are transformed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Savior, Jesus Christ, so too can your sacrifice that you have offered up be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Um, so uh, how is holy water made? It was blessed, right? There's a blessing 
uh, a rite of blessing that is said over water by a priest or bishop um, that that makes it holy. And in that 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 blessing, it contains the prayer of exorcism, um, so that the holy water can be used to fight against the demonic. Right? Angels are real, just like the angels who bring us their gifts are real. So are demons. Fallen angels are real. It was an angel communicated to. Mary, Gabriel, it was a fallen angel communicated to Eve, the devil. Satan also appeared to, to Jesus when he tempted him. An angel, a good angel appeared to Joseph. All throughout the Bible, there are angels. John the Beloved saw angels in heaven. So angels are real, but so are devils, so are demons. And so we use the holy water to banish the demonic, to, to pray for those who are sick and who are suffering for their healing, um, to protect us from attacks of the enemy. Uh, and so uh, being that holy water is a sacramental, we should use it daily. And so even if your church doesn't have it in the font right now, which is understandable because of COVID, you ought to have holy water bottles in your homes and bless rooms. Anytime you go on vacation, if you go in a hotel, bless that room with holy water because you don't know who was in it before you and what sins were committed, what mortal sins were done in that place. Have your homes blessed. Um, so it's super, super essential um, for all of us. St. Teresa of Avila, she says, from long experience, again, St. Teresa, man, she's all over the show. She was... I quoted her about tongues. She also speaks about holy water. She says this, and she's a doctor of the church, so we should really listen to her wisdom. She says, from long experience, I have learned that there is nothing like holy water to put devils to flight and to prevent them from coming back again. They also flee from the cross, but return. So holy water must have great virtue. For my own part, whenever I take it, my soul feels a particular and most notable constellation. All right. So that sounds good to me. On that note, let's take a quick break. And when we return, we are going to tackle our final question about fasting during the Advent season. What if this year your Advent could be different? What if you could learn how to welcome Jesus into your heart from the people who did it first? This year, Ascension's Rejoice Advent Journal invites you to experience Advent with Joseph and Mary as they await the birth of their son, Jesus, the Savior of the world. Together with the guided meditations found on RejoiceProgram.com, this journal will help you to see the marriage of Mary and Joseph in a new light. You will ponder what was in their hearts and minds as they awaited the birth of Jesus. Rejoice will help you open your heart to the peace and the joy of the Holy Family as you prepare for the coming of Jesus this Christmas. Visit RejoiceProgram.com to purchase your copy today. And we're back. Just a quick reminder, you can hit me up with your own questions at AskFatherJosh at AscensionPress.com. You can go on www.AscensionPress.com slash AskFatherJosh as well to send me your questions, your comments, your critiques for future shows. Also, rate us and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats and share us on your social media pages so that other people can find out about the show. If it's a gift for you, it might be a gift for them as well. Last question comes in from Mary about fasting. Hey, Father Josh, I was wondering how we can fast during Advent. That is a really good question, right? Advent is like Lent, supposed to be a season where we have increased our prayer and increased our fasting as we await the coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming of our Savior, but also as we enter into the liturgy that prepares us for Christmas for the coming of Christ. Uh, so how can we fast? Uh, I would propose this. You can fast in a number of ways, fast from food, uh, fast from alcohol, fast from condiments with your food, uh, There's fast from social media. But I would really encourage us also to fast from speaking. There's so much division right now uh, in our our world, but especially I can speak to this country, the United States of America. There's so much division right now uh, because of 
uh, the political season. Uh, there's division over COVID-19, the coronavirus, and how we should be um, addressing it. Uh, and there's division uh, with regards to people's belief or unbelief in terms like um, systemic racism or, or police brutality. Uh, there, there, there's all these different divides that are happening in our families and in our schools and in our workplace environments or in our neighborhoods. And so I would encourage everybody to just really take on a fast of speaking and like listen more than you talk and ask people who have differing views from you and your family. Like I, in my family, I have Republicans and Democrats. In my family, I have people who are pro-choice and people who are pro-life. In my family, I have people who are Catholic and who are Protestant. In my family, I have people who are black and who are white. In my family, I have people who are men and who are women. Like I have all these different different people, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses, different ideologies, different views. And so it's helpful for me to ask them questions uh, about their lives and about their experience and about their story and about why they believe what they believe. And, and, and if what they say is like, is like fundamentally wrong, before I have follow-up conversations with them, I actually pray with what they said. And I ask Jesus to inspire me with, with more questions to ask them before I fraternally correct them. And for, I do fraternally correct people, but it, it's always like something that happens later. And before I fraternally correct, I always fast for them. So then when I'm fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays from whatever it is I'm fasting from, I offer that up for them, um, for those people. And and I I have custody over my tongue, right? Um, I have custody over my tongue and my thumbs as well. I think we live in a social media driven culture, especially because of COVID. A lot of people are on the internet more than they are with people. And so the virtue that we should also be praying for is to have custody over our thumbs because we don't want to become barriers for people to encounter Jesus and to fall in love with Jesus and stay in love with Jesus. So I would encourage us to fast uh, from speaking and to fast for people. St. John Vianney said that he said, um, a group of priests were talking about some of their parishioners one day and he asked them, have you fasted for them? Like you're, you're, you're knocking them, you're talking about them, but have you fasted for them? So yeah, actually and today uh, I'm fasting for a number of things. Um, but one of the intentions of my fast, in addition to it being about, you know, reparation for the sins of clergy and other things like that, I'm fasting for, for the person who was, uh, who was talking smack behind my back. <laughs> I'm fasting for them as well. And so uh, it's good to do that, right? To to fast from and to fast for. Uh, so yeah, that's what I'll say. So let me know what you think about that. Uh, that's all for today's show. Let's go ahead and close with a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Our Lady of Cabejo, Pray for us. St. Joseph, custodian of the pierced hearts of Jesus and Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, y'all, God bless. I will see you next week. Music.